0: Do you have healthy sleep habits? Do your kids? What would you do to get a good night's sleep? Today's guest, Eva Klein, shares her story. One woman, sleep-deprived and overwhelmed against a small army of two sleepless toddlers. Eva went on a mission to get her entire family some well-needed sleep at any cost. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now.
1: If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast.
0: Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions.
1: So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together.
0: And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Welcome to today's show. This is episode number 142. It's Danielle and Justin, your hosts, and in this episode, we're talking with Eva Klein.
1: I'm getting sleepy just thinking about this conversation. I feel like I need some more sleep.
0: Does do do kids ever get to the point where they just go the F to sleep? <laughs>
1: Um, it depends on your personality, which we break down in this episode. Oh my gosh. I mean, and we have some... an eight
0: year old and
1: I it's love still to sleep
0: a matter of
1: Justin. what is your relationship with napping? I uh, love myself a good siesta
0: i I love the idea. I have very little success with it.
1: Oh, I just love a nap so much, like i fifteen minutes, and I'm just like jazzed for the rest of the day.
0: you're jazzed. <laughs>
1: I'm always jazzed. You know what I'm mostly jazzed? You are a
0: child of the 80s, aren't you?
1: You know what I'm mostly jazzed about?
0: What are you jazzed Um, about?
1: Well, always building a legendary marriage. But (laughs) sure. (laughs) I feel like that was, you know, a little cheesy. But the seven secrets of a legendary marriage. People are asking me like legendary marriage. What do you mean? What does it take to build a legendary marriage? Well, if you're curious, hit up legendarymarriage.com slash the number seven, secrets.
0: Hey, what's your favorite secret?
1: I'm not going to tell you my favorite secret.
0: <laughs> you got to go download the. <laughs> thing yeah, to don't find
1: it. download it for All yourself. Right.
0: All right. Hey, today on we, the show, we have Eva Klein. She's talking about helping your kids get to sleep and surviving as a parent.
1: Yeah. And, I, and you know what? She has some good advice for adults as well. Yeah. So let's get to it. So we are so happy to have eva klein on the show today hey, hi all right. so she is uh all about getting your baby to sleep she's a proud wife mama three certified infant and in sleep consulting and recovering
2: lawyer is that true Correct. I am a lawyer by training and got into this business when my middle child refused to sleep. So I was on maternity leave with her. I mean, here in Canada, we get a year's worth of mat leave. And so a few months in when the sleep deprivation was really, really got the, got the worst of me, that was when I kind of had to take matters into my own hands I managed to make things more manageable, got her sleeping significantly better. And then I kind of had this eureka moment and thought, hey, why don't I use up the rest of this maternity leave to get certified as a sleep consultant and launch a side business? And that's exactly what I did. I wasn't ever planning to leave law because I mean, gosh, who does that, right? I mean, that's- Yeah, I mean, you
1: did put a lot of effort into it, I'm assuming. And I want to know,
2: does your lawyering help with getting kids to sleep? I think it helps in that I, in in the way I communicate with the families that I work with, because as lawyers, we have to write and speak very succinctly. Because judges don't have the time or patience, you know, to hear anyone ramble. And I guess sleep deprived parents are no different, right? They need to hear things kind of quick and to the point. And because I'm just trained, because I guess my academic training in law really taught me how to express things verbally, as well as in written format as succinctly as possible. I think a lot of parents really appreciate that.
1: Okay, so I want to get dig into you as a kid. So do you have siblings? Yes, I have one younger sister. One younger sister. Okay, so did your parents make you have a bedtime
2: when you were little? You know what? I kind of always loved sleep so much that I really was one of those kids that would put myself to sleep if Uh, I was tired. Or uh, I would tell my parents, mommy, I'm tired. Can I go to bed now? I really was one of those dream children because to this day, I love sleeping so much. Oh my gosh. What about your sister? Did she do that too? She was, we were both We made life for our parents really easy, I think, because she was also, I think, one of those kids, not as babies, I should say, not as babies, because when you're dealing with babies and little kids, you need to know what kind of schedule to have them on. And so because my mom didn't really know what she was doing because nobody knew what they were doing.
1: Nobody knows what they're doing when they have a baby. Yeah. Yeah,
2: no, of course not. But they were no experts that you could turn to 30 something years ago either. So we were, my sister and I were both waking up at the crack of dawn at five o'clock in the morning for years. Oh and my gosh. That my is my the worst. It's the worst. And she had no idea that it was because we were going to bed too late and she didn't know that we were overtired. But we now know that keeping your kids up later is actually counterproductive when it comes to getting them to sleep more, because the very famous saying goes sleep, they get sleep. And we we know this is sleep science. When we become overtired, it causes our bodies to become stressed, which causes us to be, become restless and not sleep well and ultimately wake up early. So as children, we were where we didn't have to worry about nap schedules or whatnot. We were great. But as babies and as toddlers, where my mom didn't know the type of schedule to put us on because nobody really knew, um, we were waking up at 5 a.m. for years, apparently.
1: Oh my gosh. gosh. That's one of those things where um, we're coming into summer, obviously. And so the girls are girls. So they're almost five and seven and they love to, when they don't have school the next day, they love to stay up late. And then it does seem like they still get up at pretty much the same time in the morning for the most part. Like, they get up around six thirty, no well, matter what. Allie time does. Caroline
0: get... tends to sleep in.
1: Well, I and just...
0: of the two, Caroline's the one that will that is more likely to go. That's it. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm going to bed.
1: Yeah, I love that about her.
0: She'll do that. <laughs> Allie will just like prop her eyes open with toothpicks and keep <laughs> staring at you until. FOMO.
1: I'm wondering coming into summer, like I'm sure you've had this conversation with some of your clients, like do kids keep the same sleep schedule all the time or is it okay to um, adjust depending on if they have school?
2: I think it depends on the child because first of all, it depends on what the summer is looking like. Are your kids in camp where they still have to be up by let's say 7.30 every day to get to camp on time, or are they home with you, right? So if they're home and you don't have any structured activities for them, then I suppose having them on a later schedule where they're going to bed later and sleeping in later is fine. So that's the first thing. The other thing is that there are some kids who will sleep in and other kids don't. Sure. Where you know you were saying my oldest daughter, it doesn't matter. She could go to bed at midnight, and she was she and my and my dad actually about a month and a half ago went to a Leafs game. She went to her very first like NHL. Toronto Maple Leafs game. We're, we're diehard leaf fans here. And she didn't get to bed until midnight when all was said and done. And oh she goodness. still woke up on her own at seven o'clock in the morning. She oh, said, and then she was probably a nightmare the rest of the day. Um, I mean, I don't know. She was in school. Her teachers had to deal with her. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> <neither. laughs> I love that part of the equation. Yeah. Okay. And I'm wondering. Kids sleep in. That's the thing. Some do and some don't.
1: Yeah, it's a crap shoot. (laughs) And um, crap could be the uh, operative part of that crap show. That's what usually plays out in our house. Wow, we will say junk show. Yeah, we call it a junk show when they haven't had enough sleep and they're just totally off the walls and crying at every turn. And you're like, oh,
0: it's a junk show. Well, one of them will just start banging her head on things, like not intentionally,
1: she keeps getting in accidents where she's like, oh, I walked into the door,
2: and you're like, I
0: tripped on the carpet, the stupid sofa attacked me, and you're like, Oh boy, junk
2: show, <laughs> bedtime okay, so- for everybody.
1: I want to yeah. get back to so you have a husband, Isaac. Mm-hmm. And now, since this is the legendary marriage podcast, we always love to know this part of the story.
2: So, how did y'all meet? Yes, yeah, so we met in university at a party. So I, it was a Jewish student federation party. I was the president. Um, in, in this was in my fourth year of university. Uh, we went, We both went to the same the same college, and so I was the president. So I had to be there because we were hosting this event, and my husband was there with his buddy because it was a dollar open bar so oh man that's killer
0: that that's a deal
2: and so long story short, I drove and he didn't obviously cause he was drinking and it just so happens that I was driving a couple friends home and he needed a ride as well. And it was in the same area and he was my last stop. So I dropped off, you know, one friend and another friend, and then he was the last one and then super smooth of him. You know, I pull up to his house and he asked me out there on the spot. Nice. Oh. Yes. So I wasn't wait. expecting it. I was expecting us to add each other on Facebook and then just kind of stalk each other for months on end and no one do anything. But he <laughs> actually took the plunge and asked me out. So
1: I love that. A man of action. I know. <laughs> yeah, you got to love that. So um, how did it go down? I want to know the engagement story because some of those
2: are pretty fun too. How did you guys get engaged? He proposed to me at the exact same spot that we met you know where that party was he proposed to me at that in that building how did you guys get back on the university campus oh he arranged it there were there were staff because it was it happened to be this was it the summertime yes it was the summertime of course it was august the school hadn't started yet but he had made arrangements with the staff that happened to be in the building and so they had opened it up for him and he he made all the arrangements Yeah.
1: Oh, yet. I like Isaac. He's a he's a
0: I like this guy already, yeah. I like
1: so him I'm, too. What,
0: what was it but what, what was it about him that that kind of made you go? Yeah. Yeah, I can see this. He's
2: probably the one. We balance each other out really well in that I am I'm very extroverted. My husband is an introvert, but he's not quiet. So you know, I had dated, I had gone on dates with guys that didn't, couldn't really carry the conversation much. And I found that to be very frustrating and kind of boring almost. So he, but then I've, I had also gone out with, I had gone on dates with guys that would almost try and overpower me as well. And that was also equally frustrating. And so this I found was a really, first of all, was a really great balance and our personalities meshed really, really well. And I could also see, very early on how thoughtful he was. So for example, when we just started dating, um, I was scheduled to write the LSAT about a month or so in. And so that morning, or was it the day before? Gosh, That's the remember. test you take before you go to law school? Yes. If you want okay. it, the, the entrance exam to get into law school. So he had left chocolates for me in my mailbox with a note, you know, wishing me good luck um huh. just really thoughtful things and then there was another instance i still remember this this was about 12 years ago where we were at friends of ours for dinner and i'm i'm kind of a, i'm a self-proclaimed picky eater i'll just put that out there there's a lot of foods that i just don't like and so my husband knew that and we were at my friend's house for dinner and we were about to all start eating and then my friend had some kind of accident in the kitchen she had spilled something or i don't know something happened and so i kind of ran into the kitchen quickly to help her and when i got back my husband had made a plate of food for me with all the foods that I had li- that I liked. When I say husband, I mean my boyfriend. I'm I don't know, six yeah. or so. Um, Your pre-husband. And, yeah, my pre-husband had made me a plate <laughs> with all the foods that he knew that I liked because he didn't want anyone to take, you know, the side dishes that I like. And then there's nothing left for me to eat that, that I like eating. So Aww. it was, it was those two things. I found that, yeah, our, our personalities were really, really great fit. Like we got along so well, the conversation, you know, just flowed. There was, there was that chemistry for sure. But, and then there was also the, the character traits, the really fantastic thoughtful character traits that, that I was looking for in someone. Mm, yes. I love that so much. Okay. I'm wondering when you guys had kids. Well, so hold on hold on hold, sog- on, hold on, hold on,
0: hold on. Totally random. But like you said, there are a bunch of foods you don't like. What is your least favorite food in the whole world?
1: Wait, let me guess what it is. Creamed spinach.
2: No, oh, I like, I like spinach, not cream. Oh. Spinach. That sounds gross, but fresh spinach. I like um, chicken. I don't like chicken. Yeah. Of any kind.
0: How do you live not eating chicken? Tofu. All right, all right. My
2: husband is the biggest meat eater on the face of the planet, which is, you know, the ironic part about this. But this is since I was a baby. I've never liked it.
0: See, I'm very picky with chicken.
2: It's always like salmonella waiting to happen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if it's even the slightest bit too moist or, or like bouncy like rubbery or uh-huh. i mean anything it's it's got to be uh like when i i'm a terrible i am no grill master by any means yeah right and this is part of why because i want that chicken dead i mean dead <laughs> dead 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 is a dornado. piece
2: of shoe I leather i don't
0: like my steak medium rare i don't want it to make noises when i bite Are it
2: like I, well done you yes like
0: yeah it, it has to be you know the no pink Burgers, steaks, chicken, pork. Like Daniel's always like, oh, it's okay to have a little pink and pork. I'm like, the heck I say?
1: <laughs> what about um, you, babe? Me? What's my worst?
0: Yeah, the, the, your, the food you hate Oh my most. gosh.
1: Oh, I hate olives.
0: No, see, you're missing out. Uh, I dude.
2: love
1: olives. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, if I even smell it, I'm just like, oh, Because it's out of my, like it's dead offensive to me. For some reason
0: with a lot of olive oil.
1: Yeah, but that's different. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay, so Eva, when you went to go have kids, did you think I'm going to go back to my law career after I had kids?
2: So I actually gave birth to my first child a month after graduating law school. So um, in that yeah, it was <laughs> it was quite the whirlwind in that i I finished, I wrote my exams, gave birth about a month later. Um, and then about five months after that, I began working. I mean, here we have to do something called articling, which is basically a paid internship, which is part of the process of getting called to the bar. And, um, and so I was, you know, working for a couple years, had another baby, which is in my middle child. And she was the sleep monster that got me into this business. Okay. Wait, why do you call her a sleep monster? Because she was a sleep monster. In that she didn't sleep at all, she woke up every ninety minutes all night long. Oh my if God. That's not a sleep monster. I don't know what is.
0: Oh.
2: Um, and then would she just want to eat, or she was just happy and just wanted to just chill? She her, her pacifier. I was putting that stupid pacifier in her mouth every ninety minutes all night long because if it fell out, the sky would fall.
1: Oh yeah. my gosh! Mm-hmm. So initially, what did you try?
2: Um, I tried crying and hoping (laughs) that maybe if I just, you know, spoke to her (laughs) and asked her to say, maybe maybe she'd listen. Um, And so, okay, so that didn't work. So then the next step was Google. And you know, Google is overwhelming because there is so much information out there. Um, it's almost it's a bit of a double edged sword. There's too much information out there that you have no idea what's going to work for your particular baby and your particular family. Um, so, you know, what ended up happening was in my desperate Google search and. Quest for sleep books and reading things through. I managed to make things more manageable. I did, I did some sleep training. I took the pacifier away because the pacifier was making her into a sleep monster. And things, Oh, wait,
1: is the pacifier bad for them to sleep?
2: It doesn't, it not necessarily. It can be, it can be, I'll tell you for my three kids, all three of my children have taken pacifiers. Um, for baby's number one and baby number three. So the current baby, the pacifier was not a problem Mm. and that they were never waking up for it repeatedly throughout the night. The middle child, the pacifier was a problem because Mm. at, It was four to five months. She needed it to fall asleep, but didn't yet have the fine motor skills to be able to replace it on her own. And so that's where it can be a problem. So Uh I had no choice but to take it away because I wasn't going to continue to wake up every 90 minutes for it and wait for that magical day to come that her fine motor skills get stronger. So that was a really big thing I had to do.
0: See, now the problem solver in me crudely Uh thinks can we just grab a couple rubber bands and like, you know, put the pacifier in and like put the rubber band like a ball
2: and... gag. <laughs> I'm fairly <laughs> certain that would violate some kind of safe sleep guideline. Well, I, I'm
0: sure. I'm sure. I like, I wouldn't do it, but, but you know, do you just, you just have that thought? Like yeah. there were a few times when, when Allie was, you know, she had Whoa. the pacifier, but she wouldn't suck on the pacifier. It was like a pacifier attached to a stuffed elephant. Yeah. And she didn't want the pacifier part in her mouth. She wanted to chew on one of the legs. Oh, really? She would, she would always just like chew, gnaw, suckle on the leg of the elephant. So the pacifier would be hanging down out of her mouth. And there were a few times where I just thought, I can just rig this to stay there.
2: But no, I don't no
0: know. that's a bad idea. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do Probably that. Probably not.
1: No, but, you know, in
0: the delirium, it seems like a better idea than it sounds right now.
1: Well, are you a fan of the happiest baby on the block stuff? That's the Dr.
2: Har- Harvey Carp.
1: Yeah. And, you know, all the sh- the shushing and, the
2: you know, all that and then the swing and the swan all and- babies. It's great. Yeah. For newborn babies, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, when your baby reaches that three and a half to four month stage, they're gonna outgrow the newborn sleep stage and outgrow Dr. Harvey Carb's techniques and, and need something else because they're by, by about the four month mark, that's when a baby's sleep undergoes really big neurological changes and becomes more adult-like it's in essence, they're graduating from being a newborn to being an infant. And so, and that's a really big milestone just developmentally. They're much more aware. They're not, they're, they're not newborns, right? They're, they're babies and we're beginning to see personality and whatnot, they're smiling at you, they're making lots of eye contact and naturally their sleep patterns really change. So by that point, that's when we're not typically swaddling anymore. That's when we're not you know, getting the baby to sleep in the swing for every single sleep. That is when that we can, we can begin aiming for some more independent sleep and some bigger stretches of sleep at night.
1: Okay, I've always thought that there was like, when the babies are little, you just have to go with whatever they throw at you. You know, I mean, like if they wake up in the middle of the night, they have to eat, whatever you feed them, then they go back to sleep. And then I thought like at about Four to six months or so, then you were supposed to start sleep training them. When do you start really focusing on, like, okay, let's get you on a schedule, kid, and let's get you sleeping through the night?
2: So I would say what you were initially saying about the newborn stage is a half truth because, yes, the newborn stage is a crapshoot in that. A lot of it comes, a lot of what it's going to look like is going to come down to your baby's temperament and whatnot. However, I can tell you that there is actually more than you'd think that you can do in that newborn stage to make it more manageable. Ooh, so do not, you say more. Yes. It's not just a matter of surviving countdown the days that you can sleep train. I mean, I'll tell you my, my eight month old was giving me eight hour stretches when he was six weeks and he's he was breastfed then exclusively breastfed and Whoa. giving 8 hour stretches i'll tell you the biggest thing that i preach to families with newborns is make sure your baby does not get overtired mm. overtiredness i'm telling you is i mean overtiredness is your worst enemy across the board when it comes to sleep of any age but it's in particular a really problematic factor that can that can steal a lot of sleep away from you when you've got a newborn because they become overtired so easily. A 1 month old baby usually can't be up for much longer than 45 to maybe 60 minutes at a time including the feed before they need to go back to sleep. And a lot of people don't realize that and then what happens is there the this newborn baby is up for these big massive chunks of time throughout the day that's just too big and then the baby becomes overtired and then you usually get one of two things or, or often a combination of both so then you get tons and tons and tons of crying in those early evening hours which is all, also known as colic but colic isn't actually always colic there is such mm-hmm. thing as true colic but sometimes colic isn't colic sometimes it's overtiredness where we always called it the witching hour, hour. yes yeah. it there's is a, the a little witching. window Totally. Yeah, like after
1: dinner and then it's like they're just irritated until bedtime. Right. It's,
2: yeah. But there there's a very high likelihood that these babies are irritated because they need another nap and they've been up past that one hour mark and just don't know what to do with themselves. So Mm -hmm. that's the first consequence of having a baby that's overtired is that you get more tears. And then when it comes to nighttime sleep, it can actually cause all kinds of unnecessary, all kinds of unnecessary night wakings because overtiredness causes restlessness. And it makes it much harder for a baby or an adult for that matter to fall asleep and stay asleep nicely. So if there is one humongous, massive piece of advice I would give to anybody of a newborn baby, it is to keep your eye on the clock and just let them nap consistently throughout the day. Don't worry about them napping at seven o'clock at night. People think, oh, it's seven o'clock. They shouldn't be napping. Well, if they woke up at six and it's now seven and you don't want to put them down for the night at seven, let them nap again so that they're not up for this big, massive chunk of time. Yeah wow I, you
0: talk about the like overtiredness i think about that I, like even as an adult when i start getting overtired i start twitching yeah like i i, I will just uh, you'll see me like we'll be watching a movie or something and my i like i'll be like my legs will start kicking and stuff and i'm like <laughs> that's when i know i'm done you're like right. go to
2: bed or you uh, should have gone to bed 45 minutes ago yeah that's probably yeah. what it means Yes. Okay. So,
1: um I'm wondering so what can you do for older kids um when they're traveling? I mean, we're coming up on summer. We've got lots of oh, yeah. Well, well whether it's babies or older kids, how do you get them to sleep? when you're in a weird hotel or, you know, you're staying at the water park all day long or things like that. Like how you're in do a you... tent
0: in an RV park with strange noises right. outside,
1: right? What
2: is the best method for that sort of madness of yeah. traveling? I mean, listen, the first thing that I'll just say, you know, just putting this out there is that when you combine traveling and potentially time changes and children, there's no guarantees when it comes to sleep. You know, a lot of it just really comes down to how adaptable the child is. Some kids do really well adjusting to new environments at the drop of a hat and other children take time. And so I think the first thing I would say is just have that patience, just an understanding going into the vacation that, you know, it's, it's just not going to be possible for you to plan everything out. I mean, flights get delayed and luggages get delayed or luggage gets lost, or you're waiting an hour longer for your rental car and your Airbnb isn't ready. And then the kids are going to bed an hour and a half later than usual. There's so much that's out of your control when you're traveling that yeah. As a Type A mom myself, I'm talking to myself as well as a, as well as to <laughs> everybody else. Where you kind of just have to go with the flow to a huge extent when you're traveling. That being said, there are protective measures, I suppose, that you can take to try and you know minimize the impact of the change as much as possible. So the one thing I would say, the you know the first thing that comes to mind is to Pack up all your kids' sleep gear that they normally sleep with. So, if they have a special stuffed teddy bear, make sure you're bringing that with them, or their bunny, or their blanket, or their white noise machine. You know, white noise machines are great, especially if you're sleeping somewhere where there's tons of background noise and it's yeah. background noise that they're not used to. Bring the white noise machine with them. If you have a baby or a toddler that still sleeps in a sleep sack, bring that with them. If they have special good night books that they read as part of their bedtime routine, bring the books with you. I know it's a pain packing up this extra gear. But it can really help recreate their sleep environment while they're away and bring some familiarity to wherever you're sleeping, which can help with the transition.
0: And now we interrupt this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast to bring you a word from our sponsors, us.
1: (laughs) All right. So we know that communication is the hardest part of marriage, right?
0: Yeah. And the story goes something like this. You talk about the bills, crushing the chores, keeping the kids alive. But it feels
1: like you become really good roommates, not the soulmates you were when you got married.
0: Maybe the busyness of life and the trials and challenges of raising a family have just worn you down. Maybe you're just more comfortable having transactional conversations instead of passionate, transformational, exciting ones.
1: Oh, the good news is that by making seven small shifts, you can get on the same page and have conversations that matter and then infuse more intimacy and connection into your marriage
0: oh yeah so what are those shifts we've spent more than a decade researching and working with couples to distill down the seven most powerful shifts that couples can make to build more intimacy and connection nobody else is teaching this stuff at any price and this free resource is available now at legendarymarriage.com slash seven secrets the number seven secrets
1: And the good news is you can make these shifts, just break out of that roommate zone and transform your marriage without making your spouse sit through some boring workshop, endless counseling sessions, or sitting knee to knee, naked in some weird sweat lodge, braiding each other's hair and holding hands while a bunch of people sit around staring at you, singing Kumbaya. Was that just us? Awkward. (laughs) So grab this free resource today at LegendaryMarriage.com slash seven, the number, secrets, and start building a life, a love, and legacy together today.
0: And now, back to the show.
1: When you said something that Some kids have, well, some kids have a (laughs) temperament to be able to be flexible and some have to learn it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that like at a young age, we would always like take the babies over to like a friend's house. At the
0: baby's young age.
1: Yeah, the baby's young age. I mean, we
0: were younger then too, but.
1: (laughs) I mean, like make them sleep in their guest room while we're having a game night or, you know, take them with us and you know, there are some parents that won't travel, you know, when their kids are under like a year old or something like that. But I always thought Justin and I, our theory was always like the more you expose them to like different sleeping situations, the more flexible they're going to be in the long run. I don't know.
2: What do you think? Hopefully, hopefully, I mean, I'll tell you this. You know, I said I have one sister. We were born and raised in the exact same house. We both slept in the same nursery um, under the same conditions. And my sister, who's three years younger than me, she is that person on a 12 hour international flight who will sleep for 10 of those 12 hours. You know, those people. Bless her heart. Yeah, seriously. And then I am that person on the same 12 hour flight watching five movies in a row, bleary eyed, because I'm not sleeping on a plane. I can't. So here we are, here's, you know, this is a great example where we have two people, you know, raised under the exact same conditions. And my sister is one of those people that as an adult can sleep anywhere. And she really was like that as a kid too. Um, Versus I can't, like, I need to be horizontal. (laughs) I need to be, you know, with a pillow. I need a pillow. I need a blanket. Um, I can't have people, you know, dinging for the stewardess every five seconds. So, I think flexibility is a trait that can be learned, but probably only to a certain extent. Like anything other than giving me a general anesthetic is not going to help me sleep on a plane.
1: Well, and that's true too. Is like when you go on vacation, I I know Justin and I, we always bring like a Tylenol PM or something with us at least the first couple of nights because it's like you said, it's a weird mattress. It's a weird place. And so we give ourselves a little bit of a head start but for the kids we don't really do that Mm -hmm. I think we just expect them to you know just kind of go with the flow right Um, now I'm wondering all right so going back to the baby stage I know Justin and I were never advocates of this okay you get a kick out of this so we bring our first daughter home precious little jewel of our eye. We had been praying for her for nine years. Like we had a huge infertility struggle. And finally we have this sweet little baby, we bring her home. And you know, I'd read all the things that, you know, they sleep in your room with you for like the first little while or whatever. And then you put them into their big crib in their own bedroom. Well, the first night, put her in the little pack and play or whatever it was bassinet in our bedroom, you know, right off the side. So in case she needed to wake up, I was right there looking at her. And after one night, one night,
0: one, one night,
1: (laughs) Justin was like, this kid is not going to be in our bedroom anymore. This kid (laughs) is out of here. And so from then on, she slept in the big crib and it was no problem whatsoever. And our second daughter, I don't and know. And we,
0: we slept.
1: And we slept
0: because here is the deal: it was like every time, well, she would br- we every slept. time the baby would breathe, <laughs> or fart, or turn, or coo, or the wind blew outside, Danielle would be like,
1: <gasps> "There is a mom <laughs> startle factor that is just." She off would the
0: startle charts. and then freak me out, like I'm thinking the zombie apocalypse is upon us. They're coming in through the windows. Oh no, it's just. <laughs> she turned over.
1: Um, well, not that young, but um, yeah. So our little babies were really never in our room, but there are some that like to And there
0: are people who, who co-sleep. co-sleep for sometimes years.
2: All right. What are your thoughts on the co-sleeping business? Listen, as long as you are actually sleeping, right? Then yeah. as long as you're getting sleep, then that's the most important thing. I mean, listen, you know, for the record, I don't go around preaching to families to make changes to their little one's sleep that they don't feel the need to make. I mean, every family is different and what's going to work for one family is not going to necessarily work for another family. And co-sleeping works well, legitimately well for a lot of families. It was never for me and my husband. I mean, I don't sleep well with my kids next to me and we always wanted our own space. You know, we, we had our babies in our room for, you know, that short few months, you know, that four, four to five month period of time and then wanted them out. We wanted our space back. Yeah. Um, but other families who feel differently, hey, that's fine. As long as it's actually working, like really working. Really, really, really working. And a lot of the time when you you don't even need to dig that deep to see that there isn't much sleeping happening with the co-sleeping arrangement. And so that to me, that that's the problem. It's not a matter of is the child sleeping well in the crib versus in a bed versus in your bed, is is the family rested? And if the yeah. family isn't rested, then that's probably that's, that's gonna be a problem.
0: Why is it that sleep like what do we know now about sleep you mentioned some of the neuro, neurology or whatever the right word is there. Uh, why why do we need sleep so bad. Oh my
2: goodness! I mean, it's a basic, it's a basic human necessity that we need to function. You know, it's a basic human necessity that we need to function and thrive. We need sleep, first of all. It's responsible for physical repairs. Right when you fall on your knee and you bruise your knee, you need those first few hours of sleep in the night. It's called non-REM sleep. It's that deep sleep that's responsible for physical repairs, I, I had a client recently, I was explaining this to her and she says to me, oh my gosh, is that why I've had bruises on my legs for the last three months and they haven't gone away because I haven't slept more than an hour and a half at a time. I haven't been getting proper non-REM sleep. Could be, I mean, I'm not a doctor, right? But yeah. you know, it, it could be. And then we also need sleep to help us regulate our mood. I mean, especially those, It's, it's the research shows that The sleep that we get in those early hours of the morning, it's called REM sleep. It's when we, we dream, it helps us regulate our emotions. So in other words, when your kids are nagging, you left, right, and center, and they're just all ganging up on you, you need, and the world is out to get you. You need sleep so that you've got the patience and you've got the ability to keep calm and keep rational while dealing with whatever situation you're dealing yeah. with when we don't have sleep we lose our cool we lose our temper we're we're often miserable you know we're very moody we're very cranky we don't have patience for anything remotely imperfect and it impacts ourselves as well as everyone around us and when that happens for months and months on end, I mean, it's a huge risk factor for for postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, mm. massive risk factor. And so it's the type of thing that can really impact not just your own emotional well being, but everybody around you. Well, I
1: feel too, it's like, it's almost like a given like, oh, you're new parents and you're going to be sleep deprived and you're not going to sleep. So, I want to know at what point can you take action to like say, "Hey, listen, the adults need sleep, the children, the babies <laughs> need sleep." Yeah. And
2: this needs to happen and what on earth do we do about it? Right. I think that what you just said, thankfully, is outdated. I think that it's was absolutely applicable in previous generations where we were not empowered where parents were not empowered with the knowledge and know-how to maximize a baby's sleep so personally I was maximizing my eight-month-old sleep from the day that he was born um, okay as I tell said, me about that I am so curious from the day they were born how do uh, you do that he, I was putting him down every bedtime I was doing the Dr. Harvey Karp. I was using the white noise machine. I still do. Swaddled him up, offered him a pacifier. And every single once a day at bedtime, I was putting him down in his bassinet awake. That, my friends, is something that you want to try doing. Over and mm. over and over again. You're not gonna necessarily get it on day one because some newborns are fussier than others, and some might agree, <laughs> agree to go along with this, and others might say no, 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 and and not be happy about it. And we're not doing any kind of sleep training or anything at the newborn stage. So if they're crying, you know, you pick them up and you and you soothe them. But with enough practice, night after night after night, and your baby learns. How Just with sheer practice, how to fall asleep independently, it means that your baby then acquires independent sleep skills to be able to keep himself asleep until, of course, he wakes up because it's time to eat or something like that. So that's how a lot of the time we can avoid all kinds of unnecessary night wakings where baby is waking up, not because he's hungry, not because he's cold, not because he's lonely or, you know, wants to see mommy or misses you or anything of the sort. No way. If, if baby nursed to sleep to begin with, then sleep science tells us that that's what he's going to expect when he wakes up at the end of a sleep cycle and doesn't know what to do with himself. Mm. So that's what I happen to be doing again, because My baby this time around was at an unfair disadvantage when it came to sleep and that he had me as a mother. So I was putting him, you know, awake in his bassinet from day one. But I tell people that that is something that you can try doing and you can work towards on a daily basis.
1: So you just have them calm down and like ready to go to sleep, but actually their eyes are still mostly Mm -hmm. open.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And then they go to sleep. Okay. Well, sometimes,
2: sometimes <laughs> you do. And then sometimes you say, okay, it's not working today. We'll try again tomorrow.
1: Okay, so when are they old enough to do sleep training
2: and what does that look like? Between four to six months of age, of course, with you know, permission of your doctor, is when a baby can absolutely learn how to fall asleep without assistance. It doesn't mean, I just want to clarify, this doesn't mean that they can then sleep 12 hours straight very big difference. You know, people think that sleep training and night weaning are two different things. And people will, and I see, I'm in all kinds of, you know, mom Facebook groups, and people will talk about their four month olds waking up every two hours all night long to eat. And people will say, oh, you know, a four month old isn't old enough to be sleep trained. And I think that sleep training and night weaning, the terms get confused because, That four month old can absolutely learn how to fall asleep independently. And that four month old can absolutely learn how to sleep much longer than a two hour stretch at a time. Can that four month old go eleven to twelve hours straight? Probably not. I mean sometimes, listen, there are those outliers. There are those, you know, alien babies that manage to pull off 12 <laughs> hour stretches at four months at four months old, but they're not the norm. Most need, you know, one to two feeds in that 12 hour period. But that's a heck of a lot better than waking every two hours. Yeah. So when um so if they're
1: six months old and they're still waking up in the middle of the night to eat, at what point are you like, you know what? You don't need to wake up in the middle of the night and eat anymore. You just need to sleep.
2: <laughs> yeah. By by six months, I would say there are still quite a number of babies that might need to eat once still. Mm-hmm. But as I said, that we're, we're talking once in a 12-hour period. We're not talking three times in a 12 hour period. So I think it just kind of depends on the age of the baby and how frequent these wakings are getting, because at six months, they're still likely not eating solids very much. And so, you know, it's, it's within their rights, I suppose, within the baby's, their, their rights. Within baby's rights to, let's say, gave you an eight hour stretch, eat, and then go right back to sleep till the morning.
1: So if you have that six month old that still wants to wake up every two hours yes. to eat, yeah. um, how do you get rid of that?
2: Yes. So <laughs> it's, it's a really great question. And it's really a matter of having a sleep plan in place that's going to address everything. You see, the common the common belief is that you just have to simply pick a sleep training method and stick to it. And then all will be all but will be solved. Okay. And you see, sleep training, i.e., teaching a baby how to fall asleep independently, is part of the equation. It's part of the sleep plan, but it's not the entire sleep plan because it's not taking into account for example, your baby's schedule that needs to be in place beforehand. Otherwise, baby's overtired, baby is riled up, sleep training's going to fail, right? It's not taking into account baby's sleep environment. You got to have blackout lines in the room. You want to make sure you've got the white noise machine that, you know, the room isn't too hot or too cold, that you've got a proper wind down routine for bedtime and for, for nap time, that daytime nutrition is optimal, that you've got what I like to call the foundations in place. And then when you've got those foundations the environment the routine the scheduling the food emotional well-being etc then you can move on to picking a sleep training method that's going to teach your little one how to fall asleep without assistance how to fall back to sleep without assistance so that they can then learn how to keep themselves asleep unless of course they wake up and they're hungry uh, Which, you know, and we're I'm assuming the the underlying assumption behind that is that they're still young enough that they need to eat. When you have a baby that's in the seven, eight, seven to eight month age range and onwards, and they're healthy, then we're usually not looking at, you know, nutritive night wakings anymore.
0: Hmm. You you mentioned emotional well being in there.
2: Mm-hmm. Can
0: you speak some more about that?
2: Yes. So if you have a baby, for example, or a toddler or a preschooler who has been co-sleeping with you since day one and you've decided I'm 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 ready to I'm ready for change here, right? This was nice while it lasted and I now I want my bed back. I want my bedroom back. I want my child in his or her own sleep space. We can't just cold turkey Plunk this child in a crib or in a bed that she's never been in before because it's a very foreign space. And what's foreign might be, you know, intrinsically kind of scary. And so before beginning any kind of sleep work. Part of those sleep foundations would involve acclimatizing the baby or the child to this new space. So I always encourage my clients to incorporate playtime with their little ones in their new room. Um, Hey, put your baby in the crib and play with them while they're in the crib so that they can really get used to being in there. Otherwise, If you have a baby that isn't so adaptable to begin with, um, it isn't so flexible to begin with, and you're making this very big change without that preparation, then you may get a lot of pushback. Hmm.
1: When you said having a toddler or a preschooler that's co sleeping, Mm -hmm. Justin, what are we, what are we, what, in what world? would that make I, I just you
0: want to come back to this topic because like I, I mean we can edit this piece out
1: but I'm just saying like when she said that I was like are we uh, I don't know what your background is as far as the co-sleeping thing goes but I'm like how are we gonna have our mommy daddy sexy time if there is a and child there, in the bed with and us there are
0: natural biological functions that happen throughout the night for men that could make co-sleeping really, really, like, disgustingly awkward.
2: I so, don't know. We're not a co-sleeping family here, so your guess is as good as mine when it comes to those practicalities.
0: Like, like I'm not going to judge anybody or anything, but I am decidedly against this. <laughs> like, I, like if that's your thing, like, God bless and Godspeed. But,
1: but like you're saying, like, what if you're like, you know, you lean over, you're trying to snuggle up next to me. And even if the child is 500% zonked out and at the foot of the bed, it's, uh, it's inappropriate. Put in the bed
0: like a dog. I don't what know what you're talking they about roll
1: all over the place. <laughs> um, like, it's just inappropriate. Like I wouldn't even want that to be like on our minds in the bedroom while
0: there was a so you child get up out of bed and you go in the closet.
2: I get <laughs> I guess you gotta get creative and get in the, go in their bedroom, lock the door.
0: Yeah, yeah. Go
2: in their baby that's toddler.
0: That's not disturbing.
2: Toddler bed. <laughs>
1: go in their little toddler bed.
0: Okay, Danielle, too far.
1: But I'm oh
2: yes. Yes. I feel like I, I hear you. With,
0: I, Eva's like... I, I, I
2: hear bad. you. I no, I fully acknowledge everything that you're saying. Hence why my husband and I never with, co-slept with our kids.
0: Yeah, the math just doesn't add up on that for me.
1: The math doesn't add up. And I feel like when our daughters... Okay, maybe you could answer this too, Eva. Mm-hmm. When the girls come in and it's like, oh, I had a bad dream. First of all, I think half the time they're lying. They did not have <laughs> a bad dream. <laughs> But I'm like, I don't want to be harsh with them in the middle of the night and be Which like, you are. <laughs> but I kind of ate.
0: <laughs> like brutally.
1: <laughs> because I think that they're not telling the truth part of the time, but that they just want to snuggle in with me. And I need my sleep. I do not want, oh, I had a bad Snuggling
0: dream. hours are closed. <laughs>
1: Snuggling hours are off. To- yeah, like, like what if-
0: Let's just put it this way. Danielle has never had a problem protecting her sleep.
1: <laughs> no, I have not. Right. Right. So right, right. what do you do with like younger kids that want to still like crawl in with you at like two in the morning because quote, they've had a bad sleep or a tummy ache or a dream or whatever.
2: So, and are you asking with the underlying assumption that you don't want this? Like you don't want that behavior to continue? Oh, that is Does absolutely Does anybody correct. want that right. yeah, I mean- So I'm honestly, sure. this is gonna sound- Obvious, but I'm just going to say it anyways. Don't allow it. Period. Just yeah. Don't...
0: Just lock the door.
2: Well, well, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that either. You know, listen. My, I remember I have a seven year old and a five year old, and you know, my kids have bad dreams as well. Um, yeah. But they have never once slept in our bed ever. Um they wake up, they you know, oh, I had a bad dream, you know there was there was a stage where my five year old I think she had a dream that there were spiders in her bed, oh dear, and so yeah, it was you know, and I felt really bad. it was this like recurring problem where she was freaked out that they were gonna be bugs or spiders or ants in her bed or something, and so it's really a matter of deciphering between what the child wants versus what the child needs. So if a child's waking up and yeah. let's say is legitimately scared. So I'm telling you that when my middle child woke, woke me up because of she thought there were spiders in her bed, this was real legitimate fear. Does yeah. that mean she needs sure. to come into my bed? No. Did she need a hug? Did she need a drink of water? Did she need some reassurance? Did she need me to turn on the lights to see that there's no spiders and everything is okay? Yes, absolutely. And, and that was what I provided her with. And then she went back to sleep in her bed. But if it turns into a routine where maybe it was triggered by an actual legitimate nightmare, but then she realizes time after time, oh, hey, if I say that I'm scared, then this routine involves me landing up in mommy's bed and she likes it, then, I mean, that's how our brains are are wired, right? right? We learn from past experience that, oh, this was a worthwhile endeavor for me, so I'm just going to do it again. And so you will probably get pushback from your child if this is a strongly ingrained pattern, but you just have to put an end to it and just explain, you know what, if you have a bad dream, this is what's going to happen instead and follow through.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I might not sleep tonight for fear of spiders in my bed. Thank Sorry. you for planting that idea. <laughs> Thank and you it's so Texas,
1: much. so it's probably tarantulas. Oh, gosh. Or scorpions. We could do scorpions. Yeah, scorpions.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: How about that, honey? Sweet dreams.
0: Thanks.
1: Oh my gosh, Eva. It's been so great having you on the show. So much to think about and talk about. Um, I'm wondering, I know you have a free resource for our
2: listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I have a free downloadable ebook that everybody can... Download And it contains my top seven sleep tips that everyone, every exhausted parent can begin implementing for their baby, their toddler or preschooler immediately so that they can begin getting their little one sleeping tonight if they're ready. Mm.
0: Awesome. Let's do it. Hey, so we'll put that ju- link in the show notes.
1: Justin, is it, you know, does this rag smell I, like chloroform?
0: I, no. no.
1: That's probably not on her list. That's not one
0: of Eva's approved methods of getting your child to (laughs) sleep.
1: Nope. That's always Justin's joke. We don't ever do that, but it's always a funny joke. (laughs) All right. Okay. And where can our listeners find you? Your socials, your website, and all that?
2: Yes. MySleepingBaby.com. And you can find me on Instagram. The handle is MySleepingBaby. And you can find me on Facebook as well at MySleepingBaby.
0: Awesome! Thanks so much, Eva. It's been such a pleasure.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Okay. The conversation that we had about your bedroom being for the two of you. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel like we could even really embrace that idea even more. Not only not having children sleep in our bed, but I feel like we need to make our bedroom
0: more put, like an electric fence across the door. <laughs>
1: Yeah, something that you couldn't see, but it's just like those invisible fences, like that the dogs. Mom, have. Dad, I couldn't. Uh,
0: what happened? Mom, not oh, uh, Didn't you see what happened to your sister? Come on.
1: <laughs> okay, our listeners are going to think we're like psychotic, so maybe we should do that. I was just thinking about maybe sexying up our bedroom more, yeah, so that it's like even more of a just a space for you and me. Okay, not only what,
0: what do you what do you want to sexy up? Like, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, I just feel like it needs a little bit of sprucing and not like, you know, giant piles of Goodwill stuff in the corner. Those are yours. Okay, this isn't about blaming about whose piles are what. I'm not blaming, I'm just observing. Okay, let's take this off the air, but seriously, I think we need to make the bedroom more of our, like, sexy sanctuary, just for the two of us.
0: Oh, I like that. Sexy sanctuary.
1: (laughs) Or just like more nice and friendly and comfy for us. Sanctuary.
0: (laughs) All right. And now the talk about it segment of the show. Each week we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters.
1: Okay. So here it goes. What would be possible if everyone in your family had the sleep they need? I feel like we could be a whole different world
0: if everybody
1: was just well rested (laughs) what could be possible from that place it
0: is so obvious that that um all of us the kids included just turn into jerks when we're not rested
1: i think i would tend to agree i remember thinking about
0: this back in in was it episode 80 i think with sandra dalton smith Mm. yeah
1: Yes. Anyway. But also a good episode too. So that's you your question. That.
0: Grab some time, sit down, have a conversation with your spouse that matters. Talk about what would be possible if everyone in your family actually had the sleep that they need.
1: All right. That's Ooh. it for today's show.
0: Whether or not you get all the sleep you want, you can build a legendary marriage. So check out legendarymarriage.com slash seven secrets. We'll give you a, a great little report there that'll help you take the first steps towards legendary.
1: All right, (laughs) that's it for this episode of the Legendary (laughs) Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you...
0: Hey, don't settle for an ordinary marriage.
1: Make yours legendary.